0: Today's first Bible reading is from Psalm 119, starting from verse 89 to verse 96. Psalm 119, verse 89 to 96. Your word, Lord, is eternal. It stands firm in the heavens. Your faithfulness continues through all generations. You established the earth, and it endures. Your laws endure to this day, for all things serve you. If your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. I will never forget your precepts, for by them you have preserved my life. Save me, for I am yours. I have sought out your precepts. The wicked are waiting to destroy me, but I will ponder your statutes. To all perfection I see a limit, but your commands are boundless. The second Bible reading will be from Second Peter chapter one, verse sixteen to eighteen. Second Peter chapter one verse sixteen. For we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in our power, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. He received honour and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory, saying, This is my son, whom I love, with him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain.
1: good morning again everyone um, it's great to be here with you and um, yeah I bring greetings from uh, Bull Creek where I serve typically uh, so wonderful to be joined uh, together in our fellowship uh, a wider WPC fellowship there's a number of us uh, our churches across uh, our state uh, and it's great that we can uh, serve one another in this way so I'll say as well it's been a little while since I've been here I don't think I've been here since uh, Michael has been here and um, so I can see already the place looks a bit different Uh, than it did before, so uh, wonderful to see some new faces too, Um, so yeah, praise God for uh, what he's doing among you guys. Now, uh, for this morning, um, so we're going to be doing, uh, looking at uh, a sermon uh, called, Can We Trust the Bible? Now, this is uh, from a sermon series that we did at Bull Creek uh, earlier this year, and really uh, what we were trying to do in these sermons was think about important questions that people raise about the Bible, about Christianity in general, and one of these was this one that we're going to look at this morning. So uh, looking forward to getting into that. It's more of a topical sermon uh, for us today, so we're going to think about uh, the reliability of the Bible. But before we do that, uh, let me pray. Let's, please join me. Our great and gracious uh, Father in heaven, uh, we praise you for revealing yourself to us, for giving us uh, your holy, uh, inspired, inerrant word. Uh, we thank you that uh, we get easy access to this, that each week, uh, each day we can open it and turn and see the, the truths written within it. We pray this morning as we think a little bit about uh, its reliability, uh, would, you, uh, would we come away from this morning with great confidence uh, in your word, in the truth of scripture. Uh, and May that uh, move us to be more faithful servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. In his name we pray, amen. Okay, well, uh, back in uh, 2019, uh, the Christian pastor and author, a man named uh, Joshua Harris, perhaps you've heard of him, he made uh, this post on his Instagram account, one of his social media accounts. Now, he had already, uh, by this point, 2019, he had disowned a very popular book on Christian dating that had actually made him famous a number of years before. This is one he'd written in 1997 called I Kissed Dating Goodbye. Maybe that's a a book you're familiar with. It's kind of the thing that made him uh, famous in the Christian world at least. Uh, But more surprises were in store uh, because in this post uh, that he wrote on his social media, he announced to the world, firstly, that he had separated from his wife and secondly, that he had gone through a process called deconstruction. And what is that? What's what's deconstruction? What does that mean in this context? Well, the term itself is actually it's a little slippery, a little hard to define exactly. But for those who use it, the the noble aim behind this is usually to examine your own beliefs, to try and separate what's true from what's fiction. Okay, to separate what's true from what's fiction, to figure out uh, in what you believe what's actually true and what's not true. But as uh, another a Christian man, an a apologetics expert named Neil Shenvey uh, said, when he was recently asked about this, he said, the question is, how do you decide how to do that in Christianity? How do you decide in Christianity what's true and what's false? Right, now, that's a really important question to know the answer to, right? Because it, we, that is going to greatly impact... Our faith. Uh, now, Neil Shenvey, this man, he goes on to answer the, this question. He said, the reformers, men like uh, Martin Luther, uh, J- John Calvin, they knew that the Bible is our ultimate authority. The Bible's our ultimate authority in matters of faith and practice. That's where we turn to determine what's true and what's false when it comes to Christianity and the Christian life. But, for uh, the man, uh, Joshua Harris, and for many other people who say they're doing this thing called deconstructing, well, the Bible, sadly, is often the first thing that gets determined as false. They say the Bible's not really true. And sadly, from that point, often it's a, a slippery slope away from the faith until, in the case of uh, Joshua Harris, the man we were looking at, you get to a conclusion like this. Okay? Here's what he said on this post. I'm going to quote him. He said, the information that was left out of my announcement is that I have undergone a massive shift in regard to my faith in Jesus. The popular phrase for this is deconstruction. The biblical phrase is falling away. By all the measurements I have for defining a Christian, I am not a Christian. Now, the truth is that when someone comes to decide or comes to the point where they say the Bible's not true, it's not reliable, it's often maybe the most uh, key part of them turning away from Christianity altogether. But it's not just uh, uh, former Christians who think this, it's also those who have never been Christian. We hear this in other places as well. So uh, in the uh, well-known work from, again, about 20 years ago, a man named Richard Dawkins, an atheist, he wrote a a popular book called The God Delusion. Maybe you've heard of it. And in that book, he states this. I'll, I'll quote him. He says, Reputable biblical scholars do not, in general, regard the New Testament, and obviously not the Old Testament, as a reliable record of what actually happened in history. And that's what he says. Another atheist, a man, a man who, uh, the late Christopher Hitchens, uh, wrote a book around a similar time uh, called God is Not Great. And in that he said, there was no flight from Egypt, no wandering in the desert, no dramatic conquest of the promised land. It was all quite simply and very ineptly made up at a much later date. All the Mosaic myths can be safely and easily discarded. So when you read statements like that, both from people formerly Christian and those who are atheist, when you read statements like that, well whoever need, who needs to ever look at the Bible to determine truth, right? If you believe these sorts of statements, you can just discard the Bible altogether. And so no wonder for many today, outside of perhaps outside of this building, Christianity is a thing that can be easily dismissed. Because to them, the Bible can be easily dismissed. So, what does all this—what does all this mean? I think it means that when Christians talk with non-Christians, when we talk with uh, friends and family, uh, one of the key questions that comes up over and over and over again when we're talking about Christianity is: Can you really trust the Bible? Is it trustworthy? Is it true? And so for this morning, that's our focus. The next little part of the service, we're going to think about this question. How can we answer this? Is the Bible trustworthy? There'll be two main things that we're going to look at. Firstly, uh, evidence from outside the Bible. Uh, What do we find outside the Bible that points to the Bible's uh, authenticity? And what do we see inside the Bible? What's the evidence from inside the Bible? Okay. Now, when we talk about that first bit of evidence from outside the Bible... There's actually a wealth of information, a wealth of things that we can look at to determine actually the Bible is trustworthy. In fact, in in the time we've got this morning, there's not enough uh, time to be able to cover all of it. I'm only going to be able to look at a few specific things to make this case, right? So let's, um, and then uh, we'll jump into scripture to see more of it from the inside of the Bible. So I'm going to raise a few objections that people often raise with regard to the Bible's uh, truthfulness and we'll look at them together. So first, people might say we can't trust the Bible because it was written a long time ago, it was written so long ago. Now this is actually a a relatively easy one to to write off. Uh, What lies behind a question like this, if someone uh, believes this, is something you might call chronological snobbery, now, that's the idea that old things, old events, just because they're old, are, are not as good as new and current things. Right? And that's the thing we, we see a lot in our society today, isn't it? That you want to be on the right side of history, right? You don't want to be in, in the past, the past bad, the, the now and the future, that's good. Okay? And so if the Bible is written long ago, people would say, well, then it can't be reliable, Because they maybe, for example, didn't have the technology that we have today. But it doesn't take much to show this is actually really shallow thinking. So, for example, in the world in which the Bible was written, uh, that was considered what you'd call an oral culture. Now, today, we've got a written culture. If I want to remember something today, what do I do? Well, I, I might get out my phone to take notes I might have a, a writing pad in front of me and write things down. That's the way I remember something. I get um, my, yeah, Google Keep is one of the apps on my phone. That's what I pull out and I make notes on it if I need to remember something. Now, but back in the, in the day when the Bible was written, they wouldn't do things like that. They wouldn't be able to pull out their phone, obviously. Back in that day, what are they going to do? Well, they're going to tell it to each other over and over and over again. That's how they remembered things. remembered things by retelling the stories over and over and over. And actually, it's, it's surprisingly uh, easy to do that. If you're, uh, sa- if you're retelling yourself something over and over, it's actually easy to remember it. Now, my um, example for this is at the moment, for our three and a half year old daughter, every night she wants a, a story before she goes to bed. And she always picks basically the same story. So I've read the same book now for months, <laughs> months and months, every night. And I found that it didn't take me long. I can do it without even looking at the book. I can just point it at it and just, like, read it without even looking at the pages because it's so burned into my memory just from reading it over and over and over again. Okay, now that's a little bit, of, little bit like what oral culture was. That's what it was like in the day the Bible was written. Now, if you don't believe me, well, let's, let's hear... Um, there you go, someone's excited. If you don't believe me, well, what about this? Okay, now here's a, a Greek scholar, a man whose full-time job it is to study the original, uh, the the New Testament in its original language. Right? Uh, he said it was common for children in ancient Greece, uh, so that's more than two thousand years ago, common for children in ancient Greece to memorize all of Homer's Iliad and the Odyssey. Now, those are those are well-known ancient stories with about 200,000 words, right? These are big, lengthy stories, and it was common for children to memorize them. Now, that, that, now, on top of that, it was common for Jewish Old Testament scribes, get this, to be able to memorize all of the Old Testament. I, I wouldn't be able to, I don't think I'd be able to memorize a chapter of the Old Testament, but the Old Testament scribes would memorize the whole thing but right, that's the kind of accuracy they had in transcribing things in in keeping things uh, remembered that's 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 the kind of accuracy that we're talking about for those whose job it was to know the scriptures and to pass them on to others right so when you when you think about what was happening in the day the bible was written we want to be very careful about saying because the Bible was written so long ago, they just didn't have the technology. They, they wouldn't be able to record things like we can today, so we just can't trust it. Actually, no, no, that's, a, that's chronological snobbery. It's shallow thinking. It doesn't take into account what was happening back in that day. All right, so that's the first objection. Second objection, we can't trust the Bible because it's full of errors, full of errors. Now, this is a claim based on the fact that when we think about the New Testament, there are lots of copies of the New Testament or or manuscripts of the Bible spread all throughout uh, history. And now there's a a professor in America, a man named Bart Ehrman, who's uh, agnostic, not a Christian. And he's uh, recently tried to popularize this idea that the Bible is full of errors, And one of the things he said is that when you add up all the errors, so an error is a difference between one manuscript compared to another, maybe it's a letter, maybe it's a single letter that's different, maybe it's a word, things like that. He says when you add up all these differences, that you get an enormous amount of them. And so people begin to think, well, if that's true, then the process of recording, getting the the New Testament like we have it today, that must have been a little bit like a game of uh, Chinese whispers. One person says something to the next and then to the next and all the way down this long, long line of copying. And so surely if someone introduces a mistake at one, then it gets copied to all the others, right? And now by the time you get to the end, you've got a completely different translation. Well, while it's true that there are uh, minor mistakes, uh, minor errors, differences between... uh, Manuscripts that were used to uh, copy things and transcribe them and and, uh, continue them over time. Actually, that works in favour of the Bible's trustworthiness rather than against it, as some might say. How so? Well, the, the more copies that you have of a work, and the earlier those copies are, well, the more chance you have of actually figuring out what is true and what isn't true. Right, if you, you're more likely to determine, to determine when you have two copies that have a slight variation between them, well, which one's accurate and which one isn't, because you can compare those two to all the other copies that are out there. You've got thousands and thousands of copies. You can compare them all to figure out what's actually true. And so there's a, a branch of uh, scholarship that's actually dedicated to this task, and we call this uh, textual criticism. The whole aim is to try and uh, better understand the creation and transmission of a, a text, of a written work. And when it's used rightly, and it can be used wrongly, when it's used rightly, you can compare all the, uh, all the copies that you've got of, of little parts of the New Testament and work your way backwards to determine what was in the original. And that's, that's what's happened for the Bible. Uh, what this means is, for the Bible, we can know, actually, with to an incredibly high degree of accuracy, despite the, the differences in the manuscripts, we can know to a really high degree of accuracy that what we read in the Bible today is similar, almost exactly the same, as what was written in the original. Now, if you don't believe me, here's, here's uh, the man, uh, Don Carson, well-known uh, faithful uh, Bible scholar. Here's what he says. He says... Nothing that we believe as Christians to be doctrinally true and nothing that we are commanded to do is in any way jeopardised by differences in, in copies compared one to another. Okay, nothing, is doc- nothing doctrinally true, nothing that we're commanded is in any way compromised by that. Okay, in other words, the, the fact that there are lots of copies, different manuscripts of the New Testament floating around, and that there are errors in them, differences, well, those those differences are so minor, it doesn't negatively impact the Bible's trustworthiness. Okay? Actually, It actually helps us to uh, affirm its trustworthiness. Now, before we move on, one more thing to say here, and that is not only do we have accuracy in the way that the Bible was transmitted or copied over time through uh, uh, for the Scripture, not only do we have heaps and heaps of copies of uh, different parts of the New Testament. Uh, We actually also have endless archaeological evidence. I really do mean endless here, endless archaeological uh, evidence. Because not only has evidence for the Bible been literally dug up uh, to back up what Bible scholars have said, you know, in the last 150 years, it's still happening even today. We're still finding new evidence all the time. So I'm going to give you a, a few examples just briefly. Uh, Before 1947, uh, the oldest manuscript, the oldest copy of the Old Testament that we had, dated from the 9th century AD. So that's obviously 900 years after the time of Jesus, more than 1,000 years after the the events themselves. But then in uh, 1947, some shepherds uh, in a backwater town, part of the... um, Middle East, they stumbled across a treasure trove of biblical writings that had been stored in a cave somewhere in the Middle East okay, here's, a, here's a picture of uh, that cave, there it is there now more excavations were done uh, in the nearby caves and what, what came of it, was, what was the eventual result was a thousand manuscripts almost a thousand manuscripts being found that dated from the 3rd century BC to the 1st century AD. Okay, these became uh, known collectively as the Dead Sea Scrolls. Maybe you've uh, heard of them. And what they did conf- was they confirmed that what was in those uh, earlier copies, the ones from the ninth century, were just the same as what was in these new uh, ones that had been found that were much closer to the original events. Okay, so it was new evidence confirming that what the Bible says is true. Another one, uh, so in 1993, uh, the t- the, I'm going to say this, the Tell Dan Steely uh, was discovery was made. Now, if that word doesn't mean anything to you, all it means is a big uh, stone tablet was discovered, uh, and that's the name. Uh, in those days, 1993, there was a growing number of academics and skeptics who were saying that King David, the well-known Old Testament Bible figure, that he actually must be fictitious. He's not a real person from history. Lots of academics and skeptics were starting to say that. They were saying, King David, he's more like King Arthur than someone who's actually real. And then in uh, 1993, at a, at a dig site, archaeological dig site, what happened? Well, they, they found this tablet. Yeah? found a tablet. Here's a, a picture of it there. And on the tablet, there was a description of a victory uh, over the king of Aram by the, the king of Israel... And what was written there is that the ally of the king of Israel was the king of, quote, the house of David. Okay, so here was more evidence that it, at that point not been discovered, more evidence backing up what the Bible actually says. That King David was a real person, that he had, uh, was a well-known king, that he had a dynasty named after him, and that a line of kings came from him. Right? That's everything that we read in the Bible exactly as we read it. Now, if you think, oh, look, I'm just uh, picking some from some past discoveries and this doesn't happen anymore. Just last year, 2022, okay, last year, a, another tablet was found. This one was a, a cursed tablet found at Mount Ebal uh, in Israel. And this one dated to around 1400 BC, a long, long time ago. And the thing about this tablet was it contained the personal name for God. That's a Yahweh. And this was a significant discovery just last year because it, it was the earliest evidence of that name. That the name Yahweh had not been found that early before. And so that's a big deal because for the past 100 years or so, a mainstream view in, in scholarship is that in the first five books of the Bible... Wherever you see the personal name for God, wherever you see Yahweh, which in our English translations is Lord, capitalized, well, academics for the last hundred years have been saying that's been inserted much, much later. In other words, that's not part of the original. Someone's come in much later and added that to the Bible. But now, 2022, here was new evidence saying actually, no, it hadn't been added. It was there all along. Here's the early evidence for it just as it appeared in scripture. And in fact, this is such a, a big discovery that it basically meant the end of this mainstream view that had been held by so many scholars all over the world for a hundred years. And all that was needed was more time to dig it up. Right? So who, so what else are we going to discover in the future? I think all we're going to do is keep finding more and more things from the ground that back up the histo- historicity the reliability of what we read in Scripture. Okay, we just need more time. Well, okay, a lot there. Hoping, hoping I'm starting to convince you now. Uh, let's move from evidence from outside the Bible to instead evidence from inside the Bible, okay? And here I'll be a little bit more brief. Now, um, it goes without saying that the Bible itself claims to be God's Word. I right? That's something we can all agree on. It's not some um, made-up tale but it comes from God himself. In fact, in in 2 Timothy 3, uh, verse 16, we read that it is God-breathed, okay? It's come from God's very mouth. Now, you also have uh, countless uh, references throughout the Old Testament saying, thus says the Lord. We read that over and over again. It's it's a thing coming straight from God. You have uh, New Testament passages uh, quoting Old Testament passages and saying these are scripture, okay? So the New Testament considers the Old Testament to be from God just basically you, you could turn to numerous pages in the in the new testament to see that uh, so for example um, there's one in uh, 2 peter chapter 3 verse 15 and 16 okay there's one but i want to read you uh, another one uh, what this one uh, tells us that new testament authors were eyewitnesses of what jesus said and did okay eyewitnesses this was the one read uh, earlier before i got up to speak so uh Peter, second letter of Peter, chapter 1, verse 16 and 18. He says this. Let's go. Claim to be God's word. All right, there it is in front of you. So, four. We did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. He received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory, saying, this is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. Eyewitnesses, Peter said. That's how we're able to tell you about this because we were actually there. We heard it, we saw it. And now, now uh, we can read this in other places as well. The start of the Gospel of Luke, for example. Here's what um, the author of Luke says. Now, many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us. That's his, that is all the things that Jesus has said and done. Just as they were handed down to us by those who were from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself, Luke, Luke says, I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning. I just too, decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know with certainty of the things you have been taught. Okay, Luke was setting out to, to make things certain, and he carefully investigated things. He spoke to the eyewitnesses, the people who were there. He recorded it carefully. Okay, so we have uh, the internal evidence for the Bible is crystal clear scripture is from god it's from god himself and it's communicated to us by the people who were there at the time eyewitness testimony so now it's a bit a lot of information this morning i hope though as we've kind of walked through it that you've seen that there is a mountain of evidence that confirms for us the bible is indeed trustworthy There's evidence from outside the Bible, there's evidence from inside the Bible that go a long way to confirming for us that we can believe the the names of the people, the places, events, the things that we read about in Scripture, we can believe those things actually happened just as it is written. It wasn't made up, like some would claim, and then inserted later. No, it's reliable. It's verifiable. It is authentic, and trustworthy but but you know what i reckon the best evidence is the best evidence for the bible's uh, reliability is that jesus thinks the same thing right? jesus that the very founder of our faith he was very clear in his belief that scripture is trustworthy okay that it records what is true and what is accurate Let me give you an example, and if you've got your Bible there, maybe you want to turn with me to Matthew chapter 12. If you've got your Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 12, I'm going to read verses 38 uh, to 42 of Matthew chapter 12. Matthew 12, starting at verse 38. Here's what we read. Then some of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law said to him, Teacher, we we want a sign from you. He answered, A wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, So the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and now something greater than Jonah is here. The Queen of the South will rise at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for she came from the ends of the earth to listen to Solomon's wisdom, and now something greater than solomon is here now of all the old testament stories that we read about all the ones that could potentially be accused of being made up jonah's right at the top of that list wouldn't you say people are going to say jonah that can't be true A, a guy lives in the belly of a fish for three days that's wild but what does jesus think well he seems to refer to it as its history Right, He includes it in the same breath as references to the, the Queen of Sheba and Solomon, who, were, who are well-known historical figures. And he says that the men of Nineveh will repent just like they did in Jonah's day. Now, that would be very strange for Jesus to say if he didn't think that what happened to Jonah actually was true. Now, here's what uh, Kevin DeYoung says of the Bible teacher. Here's how he illustrates this. He says it, it would be like making a litera- literary allusion to the men of Gondor, if you know the Lord of the Rings you know what that's about, and then issuing a very serious warning to your audience that the orcs of Mordor will rise up to judge and condemn them. Right? And that's, that's just weird because it's all fictional. It okay? wouldn't make sense. No, Jesus had to be talking about <laughs> real history. Now, that's what the story of Jonah, when we read it, that's what it presents itself as, real history. And here is the real historical founder of our faith affirming it, saying, yes, it's history. All right. There you go. Okay, that's my case. The case for the trustworthiness of the Bible. Now, having having heard all of this, a lot of information this morning, you might have one uh, lingering question, okay? One lingering question. If the Bible is so trustworthy, if it is so reliable, so well attested historically, if it claims to be the ultimate source of authority from God himself and there's good reasons to back it up, then why don't more people believe it? Why aren't there more people out there looking at the Bible and going, yes, look at it, this is amazing, I want to know more about Jesus. Why do so many people reject it? Why do our friends and family turn away from it? why well it's because no matter how good the case is for the reliability of scripture and the case is good well reason alone is not enough to bring people into the kingdom in fact it can't reason cannot bring a person our logic logical arguments cannot bring a person into the kingdom why well because the truths that the Bible speaks of, that the matters it discusses, these are spiritual realities. And that means they must be spiritually discerned. Now this is uh, something the Apostle Paul says, okay, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. He says, the person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through The Now, does that mean it was useless, me kind of laying out the case for the reliability of Scripture? Should we just forget about that, given that's not going to actually convert someone? Well, no, I don't think so. Of course not. Reason is a a helpful tool. But reason alone, uh, experience alone, is not going to do the job. It must be a work of the spirit it must be jesus who opens the eyes of those who who do not know him and so that means sadly that we will continue to see people men like joshua harris who kind of deconstruct their faith and walk away we will continue to see that unfortunately it means that we'll continue to see the Bi- uh, people reject the bible out of hand people like uh, Christ- uh, christopher hitchens and richard dawkins why because not everyone's eyes have been opened so, last thing, if, if I'm here this morning, and what if I'm in that boat? What if I'm having trouble believing all the Bible says? What if I'm having trouble believing it's trustworthiness? What then? Maybe there's a, there's a part of the Bible that I'm, having, I'm not too sure about. What do I do? I think here's some, here's some things. I think the best thing to do is to keep reading Scripture no matter what keep keep it open keep coming back to it time after time after time that the god's word tells us that it is powerful to change us so the best thing we can do is keep reading it i think as well we we've got to keep asking questions about its trustworthiness i think that's a good thing to do um if you're not sure keep uh, i think the bible is robust it can handle these sorts of questions so if you've got those questions then ask them and and uh, I'd be more than happy to chat to you after the service about that, if you'd like, or or chat with Mike after. I'm sure he'd be happy to chat to you, and Tom as well. Read up, I think, on these arguments. Some of the things, I've just given you a small taste of all the arguments that are out there for the Bible's reliability. There's a lot more to discover. It's a good thing to know these things, because you never know when someone might ask you a question about this. You want to be prepared, okay? And so I'll recommend two resources, two books can give you some help with this and they're uh, both from uh, josh and sean mcdowell who are two uh, american gents a father and son the first one there on the left is more than a carpenter that's a, a shorter uh, book uh, easier to read i think with um, evidence for uh, the truth of scripture and, and who jesus is and then the one on the right evidence that demands a, a verdict that's a bigger kind of uh, more full-on um, tome, but it's definitely worth reading as well they lay out all the different uh, things that back up what the bible says okay so there's just two books that would be helpful to look at if you want to know more i think final thing to say most importantly if you've got doubts about what scripture says the best thing to do is to pray It's the best thing you can do these are spiritual realities that means we need jesus help to truly understand them and the good news is that no matter who you are uh, no matter your background no matter how familiar you might be with the bible to anyone who truly comes to jesus to know him through his word jesus will always answer he'll always answer that call so i'm going to pray and um let's let's do that now together uh, dear lord jesus we've uh, read about uh, your word uh, this morning we've looked at the arguments for uh, the reliability of all that has been written down about you. Uh, we pray uh, that you would continue to help us uh, learn these truths, to be confident uh, in all that you have said uh, and all that we read in Scripture. Uh, would you um, yeah, give us the, the motivation to look into these things, to know them well, so that should we get asked about them, we'll know uh, what to say in the moment. Uh, but we pray as well, we thank you for opening our eyes to see these truths. We pray for any who might be here this morning who are still not sure. We ask that you would open their eyes as well. Would they uh, come to you asking these questions and be able to see all that you have said and the the veracity of it? Uh, We thank you for these things. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, we're going to stand.